Amen. All right, so if you all have been tracking, you understand that we're in a, a sermon series, a study through the book of Galatians. And the title of this series is The Truth, The Whole Truth, and Nothing But the Truth. So help us God. So help us God. Amen. Y'all got it. We're six weeks into it. We got it. We got about another six to eight weeks. I don't know how long it's going to be, but it's going to be as long as it's going to be to get through the book of Galatians. And sometimes I like to rush things. My wife says, why are you rushing things? Take your time. You know, what are you going to preach next week? I mean, anyway, so we're just going to take our time through the book of Galatians. Now, if you've been tracking, and I, and I hope you've been tracking throughout the whole series, if you miss a Sunday, which it happens, I hope you're picking it up online and you're, you're watching it and you're keeping track, you're just following along, because here's the deal. Here's why we need to get reconnected in the book of Galatians, is because there's a lot of core theology right here for us. And I don't know about you, but we're prone to wander. And our theology is prone to wander. And, and our theology can get cloudy over time. And like I was even praying earlier, we can just go through life and things can start sticking to us and we can start holding on to things that, that maybe are extra biblical. They sound good, but they start kind of forming and be, becoming part of, of how we look at God and how we even look at the gospel. And this was going on in the early church. And Paul is addressing that kind of stuff right here in the book of Galatians. So just as much as the early church, those, those believers in the, in the region of Galatia needed this word, believe me, you need it, I need it, we all need this reminder that the Apostle Paul has for us. How many of you like it when someone twists your words? Do you just hate that? So now... This example I'm going to give doesn't happen to me. I'm just saying this. So I'm not throwing my wife under the bus or anything like that, all right? I'm not doing that. So you just rest. It's okay, honey. Don't worry about it. But, but, but sometimes our words get twisted, and maybe this happens in your house. I don't know, guys. Maybe this happens to you. But your wife asks you, hey, honey, which outfit looks best on me, the blue one or the pink one? And you're like, oh, no. But you answer and you say, well, man, the blue outfit looks great. And she, re she responds, what, do you think I look fat in the pink one? What's wrong with the pink one? You know, and you're like, I didn't say that. I didn't say that, right? She's twisting your words and all that kind of stuff. And you stepped in it and you're like, oh, man, there it goes again. It's no fun when our words get twisted. When somebody takes something that we said and they, and they twist it to, to mean something that we didn't say or mean or anything like that. So I'm a pastor and I, I say a lot of words. I say a lot of things, and I say them in public, and they're online forever and ever and ever, it seems like, right? And i tell you what, that with as many words as I say, people take them sometimes, and they twist them. But I ask you to always believe the best in me. I'm not, I mean, sometimes I, I, I do step in it. I'll be honest with you, it happens, right? It all happens to any of us. But, but just know this, I love God, and I love you. And it's no fun, though, when people take our words and they, and they twist them. And this is kind of what was going on with the Apostle Paul. See, the Apostle Paul had been preaching the gospel of Jesus. And, and people were taking Paul's words, and they were starting to twist his words. And, 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 and because his words were the gospel of Jesus, they started to twist the gospel itself. And instead of resting in the finished, completed, perfect work of Jesus, these believers were beginning to choose to add, choose to let other stuff stick to the gospel. 
They were allowing the gospel to be subtly changed and distorted. And it wasn't the gospel anymore. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but Paul had an issue with that. Paul had a real problem with that. Because these people were going back. They were going backwards. They were forgetting the good news of the promise. And they were choosing to go back to the law and add the law back in to the promise. Today's message is titled, The Promise Trumps the Law. The promise trumps the law, and I just triggered somebody, I'm sure. Just using the word trumps. I've been using that phrase long before, you know, President 45 uh, Trump, right? This trumps that. I mean, come on. I played cards all my life, so there's trump cards. You know what I'm saying? There's all that kind of stuff. But anyway, but the promise, the promise trumps the law, meaning the promise supersedes the law. The promise outlasts the law. And we're going to start today with the priority of the promise. Point number one, the priority of the promise, Galatians 3, verse 15. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Verse 16 says that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, Paul says. He says, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Let's say that. Say that after me. Say, through a promise. A promise. Amen. All right. Did you see this? So before the law, God gave the promise. Before the law, God gave the promise. But what is this promise? I mean, I'll just put it really simply. The promise is a covenant that God would provide the Messiah. The promise is is that God would make a way for salvation for all people. The promise is Jesus, the Savior. It's the promise that salvation comes through faith in what God has done. The promise So first, God made a promise to Abraham, but 430 years later, God gave Israel the law. And you're like, what's up with that? Why both? What's the purpose of having a promise and then giving the law? What's the difference? Why does it matter today? What does this all have to do with the gospel? Because that's the focus of this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. It's all about the gospel and getting us back to the gospel. How does this all work together? We're going to start with the similarities between the promise and the law. So both of these, the promise and the law, they're both covenants, meaning that they're both binding. The promise is binding. The law is binding. Both the promise and the law involve works. You're like, what are you talking about? 
promise involves works. No, it does. The promise and the law both involve works. Laws and promises are obligations to do something, right? Make a promise, it's an obligation. You have a law, it's an obligation. Both have an obligation to do something. But here's where we find the difference between a promise and a law. The difference lies in who is obligated to perform. Who is obligated to do something, to do the work? You see, a promise says, I will do the work. I make the promise, I do the work. A law says, you will do this. You will do the work. I make the law, but you will do the work. Do you see the difference there? So it was just over a week ago, I got a call from my neighbor, and he's like, we're out of town, and, and our trash cans are full and all that. I said, hey, I'll, I'll take them and put them out for you. So I made a promise, right? I made a commitment to this, to this neighbor of mine. And so when I made this promise, when I said, I will, I will get your trash cans out, what did that mean? It meant that I needed to get off the couch, walk next door to his house, up his driveway, through his gates, grab his two trash cans and his one recycle can. That's right. He doesn't just have two cans. He has three cans. I only have two arms, you know, two hands. But anyway, so it was two trips. And I had to pull those. Yeah, you're impressed, aren't you? I had to pull those, right, pull them to the side of the road, to the, to the, to the end of the driveway, put them in the right place. And I had to do it before early morning Monday because that's when the, the garbage trucks were going to come. So I did that. I made the promise, and I did the work. Right? That's a promise. That's how that works. Now, let's take this example. Let's, let's say the federal government creates a law and says that everybody has to work really hard and take the money that they earn from working to pay taxes so that we can save the planet and fund Planned Parenthood which is where some of our taxes go right now, which is a crime, which still frustrates me to no end. So a law is created for taxes to be paid. The government makes a law, but who does the work? We do the work, and we pay the taxes. Again, a promise, when I make a promise, I'm doing the work. When I make a law, whoever is under the law is doing the work. You see the difference? Big, big difference. With a promise, the promiser, the one who made the promise, in this case, God does the work. Under the law, those under the law, you and me, do the work. And Paul is reminding the church, he's pleading with the church to remember that salvation comes from a promise, not from a law. That, that's, what, that's why this is so important. Salvation comes from a promise, not from a law. And salvation is a result of the work of the promiser. The work of God, the one who made the promise, is where salvation comes, not our work. Huge difference, massive difference. And even last week I preached about this, right? We were talking about, about the gospel and, 
adding to it and talking about how we can't add a single thing to it. And I got a few comments even from that. Like, no, but, but you got to understand, Pastor, people need to know that they got to do some work. Yeah, it's, it's about the gospel. It's about what Jesus did, but we still got to do work. I mean, work, we still got to do the right thing. We still got to stop sinning. Let's talk about that some more as we move forward here. You, we, you, we, no. I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. Don't ever put that on anybody. Don't ever put somebody on, yeah, you're saved by Jesus, but you, have, well, as soon as you say, but you, have to this or that, if it's anything other than, but you, all you have to do is receive and believe by faith, which is what we see throughout Scripture, by faith, by faith, by faith, believe, by faith, by faith, believe, receive, by faith, believe. If it's anything else, but you have to do this, you are putting something on them that's not from God. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not. So hang with me. Remember what I said early on in the first message? I said, Pastor Gary Kinnaman, you know, he, he told me that, hey, when you're preaching through Galatians, if you're not offending people, then you're not doing a good job at it. So I'm hoping some of y'all are getting a little offended right now. Like, what is he saying? It doesn't matter what we do. Hey, I didn't say that. And God isn't saying that either. But as it relates to salvation, it has nothing to do with what you do. It only has to do with what the promiser has done. Only what he has done. So when God made a promise to Abraham to justify all people by faith, who does the work? Go ahead and say it. Who does the work? God made the promise. God does the work. God obligated himself to keep it. This is why the gospel is good news. God didn't obligate you to fulfill the promise because it's his promise. And by making this promise, he obligated himself to keep it. So which is it, law or promise? And and this is the point that Paul is making here. Israel's later obligation to keep the law did not override God's earlier commitment to keep his promise to Abraham because the promise trumps the law. The promise trumps the law. It overrides it, supersedes it. Do you see why? Because a deal is a deal. Y'all know that, right? You shake your hands, a deal is a deal. If Israel had to keep the law for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, then it would no longer be a promise. It wouldn't be. The string's attached. There's expectations from the other person. It's not a promise anymore. It would be something else. So Paul says this in verse 18, for if the inheritance depends on the law, people doing the work to fulfill the law, if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. If, in other words, if it depends on you, then it no longer depends on God. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Can we say amen to that? Amen. That's good news. That's the gospel. This is good news. Paul reminds the believers that the promise trumps the law. And you can now choose the promise. Why? Because the promise has come. His name is Jesus. You all know him. I hope you do. 
The promise has been fulfilled. It's been kept. And we can choose the promise. We can choose Jesus. He's the fulfillment of the promise that God has made. Jesus is the seed that Paul is speaking of right here in Galatians chapter 3. Jesus is the seed. In fact, we're going to see in the next verse, seed is actually capitalized to make sure we understand that. So if the promise stands, if it takes precedence, then what was the purpose of the law? That's point number two. Let's look at the purpose of the law. Why the rules? Why did God give his people these rules? What's up with that? Well, it's like Paul knew that that was going to be a question. And so verse 19 continues. He says, why then was the law given at all? I knew you were going to ask that question, Paul says, right? Why then was the law given at all? And he says it was added because of transgressions, a sin. The law was added because of transgressions until the seed, capital S, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. So again, what's the purpose of the law? What's the purpose of all the do's and don'ts? What's the purpose of all the rules that were given in the law? Why throw the law at God's people if they already had the promise? Simply put, the law was given because people couldn't stop sinning. The law was given. People couldn't stop sinning. The law was given to point out the reality that man is sinful and man needs a Savior. Man is messed up. And we're missing the mark. We're missing the heart of God. And the law, it's like a mirror that shows us our condition. The law, a mirror, showing us our condition. So I'm getting a little bit older. I knew somebody would say amen. And I'm going to let you know that today was the last day that you're part of this church family, man. So Jerry, sit down. Anyway, but I am. I'll admit it. I'm getting a little bit older. Um, I'm fighting it, but it's happening. But, but here's what happens. So I'm getting older, and stuff is getting stuck between my teeth. It didn't used to happen like this, right? They say it's receding gums, right? That my gum, you know, this is just natural, okay? Don't look at me like I'm some kind of crazy animal or something. This happens to people, all right? You young people, don't be laughing. You're coming along. It's going to happen, right? So my gums are receding a little bit. Stuff gets stuck in between my teeth now like it never did before. And so I can go about my day thinking everything's okay, man. I'm looking good. I'm smiling, a big smile. And all of a sudden, I go and I stand in front of a mirror, and I realize that some of that lettuce from that salad and go that I had for lunch is right there between those two front teeth, and I didn't know it all day long. I thought everything was great, but the mirror showed me. When I looked in the mirror, it showed me my condition. And that is, there it is again, something else stuck right there. Looking like that and all that. I thought everything was okay, but the mirror exposed the problem. And this is what the law is for. This is what the law is for. It's the mirror that exposes the problem of sin. It's to let us know, you got an issue. You got something stuck there, man. There's something that's there that should not be there. The one designed to be there. Now, some think that the law it was given to curb sin. 
In other words, help, help us, keep us from sinning. But in reality, the law was given to expose sin, not to curb sin. Just like the mirror exposed the lettuce between my teeth, the mirror didn't, didn't get rid of it for me. It didn't prevent it from happening, and it didn't resolve the problem. The mirror didn't do any of that kind of stuff. It just exposed the problem. I had to pick it out of my own teeth anyway. Never got toothpicks until I got older, you know. Now, you know, and I know why my father-in-law always carries toothpicks with him and all that. Jim, I'm sorry for, you know, thinking that way about you back when I, anyway. The mirror exposes the sin. You know, when we read the Old Testament, we realize that the law, it didn't create a sinless society. I mean, look at the Israelites, man. They were still rebellious people. They had the law. They were rebellious people. They were stiff-necked and obstinate people. They were still doing stupid things that, that was offending God. They were. But at least with the law, they knew they were doing it. But it didn't stop it. It didn't prevent it. And check this out. The law was actually meant to be temporary. You're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, verse 19, Paul just said this. Paul says, it, meaning the law, was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. There are things in life that are, that are there for a reason, for a time. Uh, back in the Great Depression, it was, it was some kind of revenue act of 1932 or something like that, they put a one-cent tax on fuel, on gasoline. Why? Because they were having issues in, in the Great Depression. They needed to raise some money for some of the projects that they were going to do. The government needed some more money. So they put this temporary one-cent gas tax that was supposed to last just for a short period of time till they got their feet underneath them with these projects, and then it was going to go away after it took care of what it was supposed to take care of. But after it took care of what it was supposed to take care of, did it go away? No. People just got used to it. And the government thought, well, this is great. Let's just keep adding to it, in fact. Let's not, not only make it go away, but let's, let's, let's push it all the way up to 18.4% or cents. 18.4 cents. Let's make sure that we're getting 26 million or billion dollars in annual federal revenue from this tax. We're paying $26 billion a year in this fuel tax that was supposed to be temporary back in 1932, but we just keep paying it and paying it and paying it. We're stuck with a tax that was never intended to be permanent. But likewise, the law was supposed to be temporary. Now hear me out. This can get a little squirrely. We, we've learned, we've been taught all different kinds of stuff with this, okay? What do I mean by the law is supposed to be temporary? When Christ redeems us, when we've looked into the mirror and we've seen our sin and we understand our need for a Savior and we humble ourselves and we cry out to God to do what only He can do and we receive the promise, the work of Jesus to cleanse us and to make us new, the law has done its job in our lives. Is 
It's done its job. It didn't save us. The law did not save us. The law didn't take the lettuce out of my teeth. The mirror didn't. And the law didn't save you. It didn't do one thing because it was your work that was under the law. And it's the promise, the work of God, period, that saved you. It's just you receiving. And that's not a work. That's just a receiving. See, we're now under grace. We're under grace. There was a transaction that occurred, a supernatural transaction that occurred that God did. He used the law for a purpose. But he did his grace poured out on us. It justified us. And we're now under grace. And God's grace is now doing in us what we could never do and what the law could never do. You couldn't, I said this last week, you could not save yourself. You had the law, you knew what was right and what was wrong. You knew that that sin was gross and wrong and that you needed to stop it, but you couldn't stop it. You could not save yourself from it. You could not stop it. You did not have the power to do that because there was only one who has conquered sin and death, and his name is Jesus. And it's when we surrendered our lives and our work and we rely wholly and completely on the work of Jesus, that is when we are set free. That is when we are saved. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we've been set free by His powerful grace and now it's by His grace that we live. And you're like, His grace Some people have this view of grace like his grace just means I don't worry about anything anymore and I just kind of do whatever I want to and forget about consequences. No consequences. Well, there's truth to that. But when we've been transformed, we have a new heart. We have a new mind. And we look at things completely differently now. Our desires change. We want to do what's right. Before we didn't, man. We were enemies. We loved sin. Oh, we loved it. Because our flesh loves it. But we don't walk by the flesh anymore. We walk by the Spirit. And our spirit has been renewed by Christ. And so we walk by grace. And we choose what we didn't choose. And now we can do what we couldn't do before. Not by our work, but by God's grace in us. Effective in our lives. I had an anger problem back in the day. I had an anger problem. Imagine how scary that would be. I'm a pretty big guy, right? Oh, anger from this guy, right? That's no good. Man, I wanted to stop it. I didn't like being angry, but I couldn't. It wasn't happening. But it's when I realized that it's not my work that's going to change this issue. It's God's grace that's going to do it. And I need to come under and grab hold of what Christ has already done for me. And I need to walk in His grace and in His work and in His power and not in my own efforts. And when I realized that from Scripture and I took hold of what He took hold of for me and I started to rely on what He has done and who He is in my life, that's when I saw that sin, that problem fall off of my life. 
But it wasn't my work. And it wasn't my effort. It was me just walking in the grace, in the work of the promiser, Jesus. The same one that justified me in the first place. It took me out of darkness and brought me into his marvelous light. Is the same one and the same power that did that is at work in my life and in your life to be able to choose and do things that you could never choose or do before. Choose and do God's stuff. Not be God. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But like follow him. Be his friend instead of his enemy. Romans 8, 3 and 4 says, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who did not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Who did the work? Jesus, the promiser, fulfilled his promise. It's the work of Christ from beginning to end. That's why this is good news. So the law points us to Christ, our need for a Savior. It points us to the gospel. The law was never intended to be added back into the gospel. The law is not the gospel. It has a purpose. It's not bad, but it's not the gospel. It doesn't save us, but it does point us to the one who does save us. So did God throw out the law or do something else with it? What's happened to the law? Point number three, y'all read ahead or something. The law was fulfilled and the promise was kept. Come on, let's get an amen on that, a hallelujah, yeah. The law was fulfilled and the promise was kept. Verse 21, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I just want to say this very clearly right now. Don't be, don't be one of those people that say, ah, the law... It's pointless, it's useless, it was like a mistake by God or something like that, but now he corrected it, Jesus came and all that kind of stuff, and the law, whatever, you know, law, shema, whatever, I don't know. You know, don't, don't, no, 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 no. Listen to what Paul is saying. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law, but we know it doesn't impart life, only the promise, only Christ does, right? But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus. How do we receive the promise? Did you see that? Faith in Jesus. How do we receive the work of God? How do we receive salvation? Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Not some other kind of formula or framework, or, or anything out there. It's faith in Jesus, from faith to faith. What was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. That doesn't sound so good. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian. Now, that's not a bad thing, is it? 
right? If you got some little kid, you don't just let them run all You've got to have a guardian, a parent or somebody to watch over them until they don't need a guardian anymore. So the law was our, our guardian until, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Not by our works, but by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So again, the promise trumps the law. The promise remains. Paul is clear. Do you see this? Before we receive Christ, before we respond to the gospel in faith, the law still has a role in our lives. It's a guardian. It's that mirror that I was talking about earlier. But after faith, after choosing the promise, we no longer need, according to Paul right here, very clearly saying, we no longer need the guardian because we now live by faith. We've been transformed, taken out of darkness into light. We are new creations in Christ Jesus now. It's like we got new insides, right? We, we have a whole new motor and engine, everything that's running us. It's all different. It's, God has transformed us. And when we trust and have faith and believe in His work and what He has fulfilled, then our, our changed hearts, like I said earlier, our changed hearts make us want to choose what is right. Before you were renewed, before you were saved, you didn't want to do what was right. Oh, you had guilt, maybe. You had condemnation. But your flesh doesn't want to do what's godly. It wants to do what the flesh wants to do. But not after we're made, not after we're made new in Christ Jesus. We want to start choosing what is right. And not only now can we start choosing what is right, we can actually start doing what is right. But we're doing what is right, not out of the old us, not out of our flesh, not like when we were under the law. We're choosing and doing what is right because we're walking by the Spirit now. And we're empowered by God's grace, not our own strength and our own smarts and our own will. It is Christ who is at work in us and through us. And just as we humbled ourselves before the grace that saved us, we are humbling ourselves before God's grace and receiving it and grab holding it and walking in what God has done all the way through the rest of our lives. And we're seeing ourselves change from glory to glory, Scripture says, being transformed, thinking differently, acting differently, loving differently. Everything changes because Christ at work in us. So why would anybody want to choose the law over the promise? As it relates to salvation. There's only one that saves. What God has done. Not what we do. Why would anybody choose their own righteousness over the righteousness of Jesus? Right? It's a no-brainer. It's one of those like, oh, why? 
Would anyone choose their own work over the finished work of God? This is what frustrated Paul. It's because believers who had chosen the work of Christ, who had chosen the gospel, were falling back into choosing their own work again, choosing what they could do, thinking that they could somehow enhance what God had already done. It's not somewhere we want to go. Not only is it just going to mess your life up again, not only is it just going to frustrate you, not only is it going to make you anxious, it's going to rob you of the joy of salvation. And I believe also what it does is it just, it, it, it denigrates what Christ has done for us. When we go back thinking that, oh yeah, we're going to add something. No, it's what Jesus did, but now I'm going to do this too. Extra credit. No. How about extra gross? It just came out. I don't know why, but it is. It is. But think about this this week. Are you doing this in some way? Are you gauging your status with God, your position with the Lord? Are you gauging how you think He's looking at you, your health of your relationship with Him based on your ability to follow religious rules and to do some things out of your own strength better than the person sitting next to you? Or are you resting and living victoriously in the finished work of Jesus? a choice that we get to make every day. Whose work are we going to rely on? Whose victory are we going to live out of? We're going to take communion together right now. We're going to remember whose victory we have. 